Thank you so much for tuning in to Wove Inspiration Podcast with host Althea Richardson. Wove Inspiration features women and the men who love them, who use their voice to address issues such as mental health, wellness, abuse, and many other obstacles in life. Everyone has a story, some good, some not so good. The common factor for guests of Wove Inspiration are the solutions and victorious ending. I am so excited to have this special guest on my show today. Her name is Minister Carolyn Forche. She is out of North Carolina by way of Chicago. And this phenomenal woman has done so much in in her lifetime, but her foundation is always been God. And so it is a (laughs) it is a blessing and honor to have Miss Carolyn Fauché on my show today. Ms. Fauché, thank you so much for being on my show and for sharing your wonderful information. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor. So I always ask my guests when they come on the show because I like to set a foundation for my audience. So who is Carolyn Fauché? Okay, first of all, I want to add this, that there is another Carolyn Fauché. She's not African-American, so... I always uh, make sure that I add Carolyn A. Forche. It's my middle initial, Carolyn A. Forche. And um, I am uh, a little girl who was raised in Chicago, Illinois, and raised in the Pentecostal church. Um, got saved when I was 14 years old and um, went to college like most people did eventually. And uh, I have become very, very involved in the ministry that came out of an experience that I had. And, and I have found that so many people that God has given to do certain kinds of things in ministry, um, they they do it out of an experience that they had one time. Uh, and that's what happened with me in my ministry. I found myself being able to reach out to people who had been through certain situations and the Lord would draw people to me and to my attention who had been through certain things and would come to me and say, you know, uh, Carol and I, I have some things that I need to share and I don't know who to talk to, but the Lord says that I can talk to you and that you would not judge me. And so that kind of experience launched me into ministry. And uh, I just thank God for it. It's been a blessing to me. Uh, all the things that I've been through, I realized I went through for his purpose and his cause. He suffered and he said that if we we're going to reign with him, we're going to suffer with him as well. So mm-hmm. he's my example. Amen. Amen. And so, well, let's go ahead. And um, first of all, I want to tell the audience, she is a two-time award-winning author. And one of her books is entitled, That's Not Nice, What You Did to Me. And so based on what you've indicated just a few minutes ago about personal experiences in your life, was this something Mm -hmm. that actually pushed you towards writing this particular book? Yes. And interestingly enough, um, as a lot of people who have been abused, I was not penetrated to be very graphic and transparent with you. Mm -hmm. I was molested and uh, I was molested by someone that was close to the family. And um, I don't want to go any further than that to say exactly what it was. But the point is that when people, children are molested, it's usually by someone close to them or someone the family trusts. 
and I happened to be spending the night at someone's house where I was babysitting. And in the middle of the, and this is a very close friend of the family. And in the middle of the night, the husband, I was awakened in the middle of the night by someone molesting me. Wow. And I screamed and jumped up and two of his sons were in the room asleep, one in the bunker beds. And, and I looked over there and they looked at me and one of them was awake and his eyes were as big as saucers and I screamed and screamed and said, what are you doing? And he ran out of the room. Mm -hmm. And I knew immediately that I was going to tell my mother and I hated the fact that he was going to have to drive me home because I lived on the other side of the city. Okay. And um, as soon as I got in the car, I said, I'm going to tell my mother what you did. I didn't do nothing. I said, yes, you did. I'm going to tell her. And I didn't say another word to him all the way home. But as soon as I got home, I already knew in my spirit that I was going to tell my mother, but I knew better than to say, tell my father, because my father was filled with the spirit of God, saved, sanctified, with all of that. If he knew that anyone had touched any one of his five daughters, he'd have killed them. Wow. One time the Holy Ghost would have gone out the window, and I just <laughs> knew better than to tell him. So the first thing my mother said when I told her was, I'll take care of it, but don't tell your daddy. I said, I knew not to tell my daddy. But this is the story, Lady Richardson, that really touched me the way the Lord dealt with this. I'm a writer, as you can imagine. Yes. And one of the things I do is manuscript editing. And I was editing a PhD thesis for a woman. I was deeply involved in that. And this is just how God works. I wasn't thinking about anything but what I was doing in her thesis. And in the middle of that, I heard God say, I want you to write a book to my children who've been sexually abused. Yeah. And I want that book to be called, That's Not Nice, What You Did to Me. And, and, and the chair that I was sitting in had wheels on it and I wheeled back. I was, I was in shock and he, I was like surround sound. I heard this, you know, and I said, God, what, why would you ask me to write a book like that? Mm -hmm. And the Lord said again in the surround sound voice of God that I heard, because you were 40 years old before you forgave your, and he called his name. My God. And, and I wept. I, I could hardly do anything else for the rest of the day. But I didn't even start writing the book until a couple of years after that. It was so difficult to write about it, let alone talk about it. I had not talked with anybody about it but my mom. Yeah. And here I was in my 40s, and the Lord was reminding me that I had not forgiven him. And, and I had not, because every time I would see him, you know, at social gatherings and family gatherings, I just hated him. I just wanted in my, I wanted to kill him. So I would think to myself, oh my God, I was molested. What about girls who've been actually raped, you know? Yeah. So then when I finally decided to sit down and write this book, I, I did it. The words just poured out of me. And they were words as a child would say, uh, because in both of my children's books that I've written, I've written them in child's language. And what has happened is in this particular book, uh, I've been in ministry in this church for years and I've had several people in the churches that I've attended come up to me and say, Carolyn, um, and I would ask them if they would, you know, comment on the book. They had gone through sexual abuse themselves, past two pastors, a school principal, social worker, insurance agent, all of these people. And all of our testimonies are in the back of the book. But the front of the book is written in a child's language, and, that, and, and it starts right out, dealing with, that's not nice what you did to me. And even though as a writer and a grammarian, that's not grammatically correct, that's how a child would say it. Right. right. That's how I would say that to us, but that's not nice what you did to me. 
And so that's why God had me to title the book that way. And on the cover of the book has pictures of children of every nationality almost on the, looking sad because it happens to children of every culture and every race. Yes. So that's, that's what inspired me to write the book. And uh, do you know what? It helped deliver me because I was able to express it because one thing we have problems with is telling it. Yes. That's the word that they use very often. Um, they are afraid to tell. Right, right. And and first of all, I want to thank you for being transparent. It takes a lot of healing for people to decide that it's it's now time for me to to share my story and to use yeah. my voice. And so um, I really appreciate you being transparent about that. And second of all, I commend your mother because a lot of times moms, they they won't support their daughter when something like that happens, especially when it's an, in, it involves someone that is maybe close to the family mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. even maybe the, the father or the boyfriend of the mother. They, they just, they won't talk about that. So uh, Ms. Forche, why do you think that sometimes, especially in the minority community, we just don't want to talk about things that have happened in our past, in particular, child sexual abuse. Well, in every nationality, um, not just the African-American community, but children are afraid to quote unquote tell. Mm -hmm. And one of the first reasons they are afraid to tell is because they've been threatened that they're going to kill their mommy or they're going to kill or hurt or harm someone in their family or some beloved person. So they live with that fear all of their lives that they can't tell. But when they do get old enough to tell, well, this burden of oppression has been so ingrained in them and in their minds, they have their personalities have taken on a certain uh, uh, withdrawal aspect. And many times people wonder why people have a certain personality. A lot of times it has come out of abuse or neglect or whatever. And so that's, that's the first reason why they don't want to tell because they've been threatened. The other reason they don't want to tell is because of what you just said. Many times the family members themselves don't want to hear it. Many times the family members, members themselves, the mothers and the fathers have themselves been abused and they haven't been able to talk about it. So when I've had adults who agree to give me their testimony to write in the back of my book, Every one of them said the same thing, that as they read the words that were in the book that are written in a child's language, Mm -hmm. they felt the child in them begin to cry out. Yeah. Because the unhealed child was still living in this adult. And so that's why it's so important for people to get help, uh, to go to therapy sessions. But I'm going to tell you, in my experience, so much of the healing really comes from organizations or uh, or, or, or ministry groups that where they teach them forgiveness. Yes. And you know, if you try to get healed from something like this and you haven't been able to forgive anybody, the healing is only going to really come totally through forgiveness. And I had to work on that myself. Yeah. So I know how difficult it is for people who have not been able to forgive that person because when you don't forgive them, you're not free yourself. They've right. gone on about their business. In many cases, they were dead as the person in my life. 
you know, they were dead, but you still have to forgive. And, you know, if you don't mind me sharing this example, I was ministering one time at a women's conference at a church. There were about, um, say, 250, 300 women in the uh, audience. Okay. And it was a women's conference. And so there were five of us uh, who were going to appear on a panel to discuss the subject that had been the theme of this conference. And so when it came time for the panel to be discussed, the host minister said, let's stop everything. Hold on. Uh, panelists, please go down to the altar because all of us were ordained ministers. Mm -hmm. She said, I want, the Lord has spoken to me and said he wants all of the women who are in this congregation to, who have been sexually abused to come forth for prayer. Mm. Do you know there were about five women left seated in the back? Wow. About wow. five women that were left and they came weeping, just just bowed over with shame, with guilt, with anger, with weeping. They had not been able to talk to anybody about it. Yeah. And I'm telling you, as I said, there were 250 to 300 women in that room. This was in Houston. And the, one of the first women that came to me for prayer, she draped herself on my shoulder and wept, just sobbed uncontrollably. She said that her brother raped her all of her life until she was 18. Mm -hmm. and she was never able to talk with anybody about it. So um, for so many reasons, and including the fact that, as I said, many people don't want to hear about it. And years and years and years ago, uh, people didn't want to talk about it because they felt it would bring shame to the family. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't talk about it. And as I said, many of them had had that experience themselves and hadn't talked about it. Mm -hmm. So, And then many times, as you suggested already, they blamed the child. Yeah. And even in the court system, it's a lot better nowadays than it was, say, 15, 20 years ago. But you'll remember 15, 20 years ago, they always put the blame on the woman. What were you wearing? Right, exactly. Yeah. What, 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 what were you saying to him? When were you with him? And many times they had never even seen the person before or they never had any interaction with the person. So the courts made women feel ashamed as though it was their fault. So people just for so many reasons didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. But thankfully, there are books written about it now. People talk about it on talk shows and all of that. There are many celebrities. I heard one celebrity. As a matter of fact, I can say who she was. I just don't remember her name. One of the little girls that played on Little, little House on the Prairie, the one who was a blonde-haired, curly-haired daughter of the show, shopkeeper, and his uh -huh. mother, remember her? She was on a television. She said, I will never forgive my perpetrator. Mm. I hate him. I will never forgive him till the day I die. And I began praying for her. Yeah. And every now and then I think about her. I said, Lord, wherever she is, Lord, help her to get that hatred out of her heart because she can never be healed until she gets to the place. But she openly said on television, I will never forgive him. Mm -hmm. So but that is such an important part of, of, of the, uh, the healing process. And yeah. if I can give you a sample of one of the verses that that I have on um, that start right out on the book, talking in a child's language I was telling you about. Yes, please. And, and the foreword was written by a very prominent psychologist who happened to go to our church at the time. But anyway, this is the first um, verse. There's a secret hiding down inside of me, a secret I really want to share. I wish I knew someone somewhere would believe I'm really scared, scared to say what it was you did when you did what you did to me. So you see, it goes verse after verse, you know, talking about it. One verse, I'll say two, 
that is very prevalent in, in the situation where children are being abused. It's really very hard for me to pretend that the way you acted then was like you didn't really mean to do it like you said. You make me feel ashamed, but you're the one to blame for those terrible things you know you did when you did what you did to me. Mm. And alongside every verse is the scripture. So all of my books are biblically written. So beside every verse, there is a scripture. It took me years to find a scripture that was so appropriate for every verse that was in that book. Yeah. But there is a scripture so that it, it, it that the child can eventually, or the old adult can eventually see that scripture mm-hmm. and go mm-hmm. through it and reflect what it was that I said. Yeah, that is that is phenomenal. And the one main thing that I really like you, um, what you what you're talking about is the the F word. That is the hardest part mm-hmm. of the healing process is forgiving yes, is. forgiveness. That is like you it's because people tend to think that when you're forgiving someone of their wrongdoing towards you that you're uh forgiving them for them hurting you and that it's not something that you just you know you can just let go and and move on no you're forgiving that individual for you so Mm -hmm. that you can heal like you said it's not that you are saying that, oh, well, they're getting away with something. They're not getting away with right. anything because God knows Absolutely. the situation. God knows what happened. But you have to be released and be set free from right. that bondage that you're allowing this person to hold you in by Thank not forgiving you. them. Yes. That's totally right. That's so true. People don't realize the power and the liberation that comes from forgiveness. But did you know that uh, one in four girls and one every six boys will be sexually abused before they're 18? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a statistic that's pretty pretty much well known nowadays, how prevalent this problem is. And now during this pandemic, the, the, the statistics have risen because people are at home. People are at home. Yes. So, it's, it's, so it's not only abuse, but domestic violence has increased. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that that's a whole nother topic. Right. <laughs> on, <laughs> on another day. But you know what? One of the things that's amazing about you, Miss Forche, is that you were able to overcome that thing that, that happened to you when you were a child. Yes. So much so I'm, that I was 16, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so much so that, I, and I have to, I have to go down a, a shorter list of things that you have accomplished in your lifetime, uh, being the first woman and first African-American to be appointed to a sub-cabinet level position in the president of uh, Jimmy Carter administration, and then continued on to the Reagan administration. I mean, that is phenomenal. <laughs> Did you ever think that you would even do something like that? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. I grew up in Chicago. My father was a shoemaker and shoe repairer, and we lived behind the shop. And I uh, went around the corner to the church at 3813 Indiana Avenue in Chicago. So we grew up poor, but, but thankfully I encouraged our parents encouraged us to get an education, and we were able to do that um, through 
scholarships and grants and all that. But growing up in a Christian home made all the difference in the world. It just really did. And uh, I never thought anything like that would ever happen, especially when I found out. See, I was the director of public relations for this particular organization in Chicago. And um, the executive director came to me one day and told me that the United States Office of Health and Human Services was looking for a person to head up the Midwest region, which is six states in the Midwest. I don't try to call them up right now. Mm -hmm. But I was over the six states in the Midwest in uh, public affairs and over the Freedom of Information Act. And yes, it was really something. I didn't expect it to happen because the rule was that the United States had to interview every person from one person from every state in the United States of America. Wow. So I didn't think that I just thought it was just nice to be asked. Yeah. I went to my pastor, um, Bishop Holly, and I told him I wanted him to pray for me because I was being considered for that role and that God's will would be done. And he laid his hands on me and he prayed for me. And when I got the call from Washington that I had been chosen, I had to go through a battery of interviews, flying back and forth from Chicago to Washington for my interviews. And when I got the word that I had been selected and I knew that I was the only African-American, mm -hmm. it, it was amazing. It, it was a God thing. Yeah. It yeah. was just a God thing. That's all. And uh, <laughs> to, to those battery of interviews, do you know that I have always been a kind of a shy person, still have some of that in me. <laughs> but God gave me all this boldness when I was being interviewed because I thought I'm just going to enjoy this for fun because I know I'm not going to be selected. So I'm just going to have fun being interviewed. <laughs> That is amazing. I really was. I was having fun because I was like, oh, oh, this will be something I can remember for a long time. But I, I had no idea I would ever be selected. And I remember the one of the final interviews by the, the kingpin of all of these interviews. And I was already wired up that this was the major interview. So I went in there and, of course, he had this very impressive office with these nail head bearing leather chairs and swiveling around had his pipe and his tweed jacket on mm -hmm. and he looked to be middle-aged punchy man about 60 or so and so he asked me all of these questions and but i knew the one question he was going to ask me because i asked that question when i interviewed people for the jobs where i work mm -hmm. i interviewed young ladies and men for their jobs and it was one question as an interviewer i learned you already asked you always ask and i knew he was going to ask me this question and he did so he sat back in his in, in his chair as I was being interviewed and puffing on his pipe and said, well, Miss Forche, uh, what makes you think that we should hire you out of all the people <laughs> interviewing? Why why should we select you? And I already had my answer ready. Yeah. I said, well, because I know that you're interviewing people from all of the 50 states. I said, however, you may interview many people, many people who may be qualified, but there's not going to be anyone more qualified than I am. Yes. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I was having a ball. I was just having an absolute ball because I knew I wasn't going to be selected, I thought. Yeah. So I was just having fun. So <laughs> that just shows you how God works. And the only reason I had all of this confidence from one interview to the next and the battery of people that interviewed me was because I just figured I wasn't going to get it anyway. So let me just have some fun while I'm doing this. <laughs> Well, it certainly paid off for you because even after the the end of the uh, term for President, former President Jimmy Carter, you continued, were actually requested to well, remain yes. on the Reagan administration. So how yeah, did that come and, about? Well, 
Well, that's not done. That you know, it's just like right now. You know, when one one administration leaves, the next administration yes. comes in. So, I was a Democrat, so I was with a Democratic organization. I mean, gotcha. administration, of course, with uh, President Jimmy Carter. But they had difficulty replacing me. They couldn't find someone that they wanted to replace me. Not because I was that good. Just for some reason, they had not been able to find a person to replace me. So they asked me if I would stay on mm-hmm. and work with the Republican administration until they found someone. So I yeah. said, sure, I stayed on seven more months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but even with that, though, you're we're going from, you're, you're a Democrat going into a Republican administration. administration. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, well, they didn't have anybody. I mean, come on, that's not, I that was not a coincidence. Out, <laughs> I never figured out why they hadn't found anyone. I just, and I never asked. I just, just kept tapping yeah. along until they found someone. But uh, yeah, that's that's how that went down. That is um, amazing. Yeah, wow. that is amazing. And you know what? I experienced all the racism you experienced when I was uh, we were on the top floor of this building right across from the um, Sears Tower in Chicago because Chicago was the uh, major city for the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where my office was. I was the only black up there. And um, just to show you how the Lord works, even when the enemy tried to make it difficult, fortunately, the PRO or the principal regional official gave me excellent evaluations every quarter. Yeah. I mean, stellar evaluations. But then he asked me to do something in a conference meeting we were having one day. And one of my jobs was to make sure that every area that the president went into in the region of the seven, six, six states that I represented, I had to make sure that if there were any issues that would somehow cause him to have a lot of uh, uh, protesters or an issue that he was not prepared to deal with, I had to make sure that he was wired up and that his staff knew what he was going into, okay? okay. So um, my boss, the principal regional official, uh, asked me to do something that I knew would not be smart, would not be wise, that it would somehow um, compromise the president, you know, in a particular region. So political, political issue. So I said to him, I said, that's not a good idea because we could compromise the integrity of the president by sending him into that region where this, this particular issue is going on. It's best for us not to. Well, uh, this is something I want you to do. I said, no, but I'm not going to do that. Hmm. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm, I'm not going to compromise him in that way. He said, but yeah, you're being insubordinate. I said, you can call it what you want, but I'm not doing that. You can do it, but I'm not going to. Yeah. So anyway, he wrote me this horrible evaluation after having given me all these other great evaluations, which is always kind of crazy because whenever you have someone looking at that, they're knowing there's obviously a personal problem there. Right, exactly. And so... Um, Anyway, my bosses in Washington, with whom I had a very good working relationship, they come and say, Carolyn, what's going on there in Chicago? So I told them, they said, well, Carolyn, have you been keeping a record? Oh, I knew to do that. I said, oh, yes. <laughs> I had a file on him. Yeah. See, you have to do that when you're working in a very influential position. You have to keep a file on the good and the bad. Yeah. And they said, send us the file. My secretary was the only other African-American person there. She, too, was a Christian. And uh, I asked her to pull that file, and she did. I sent it to Washington. And do you know um, they fired him? Wow. And it was a big stink all over Washington and in the region where I was. How in the world did the principal regional official get fired and not her? Well, I was walking past, uh, going down to my office one day, and I heard one of them whispering, saying, she must know someone in high places. 
I told my secretary <laughs> they don't know what we do. Yeah, really. Yeah. One in high places already. It was God. So throughout my career, it's always I've always known that God had my back. Even yes. when I was in situations where I knew I failed or I was really troubled by something I had difficulty doing or whatever, God always had my back. Amen. I, I can definitely see that, especially when it comes to the, the political realm and everything like that. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, God. I and being African-American be in the political uh, realm. <laughs> I would hate to be working in Washington right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And and as I had uh, mentioned earlier, you are a two-time award-winning best-selling author. And the other book that you wrote is entitled Colors Come From God, Just Like Me. And it has to do to with inspiring children to celebrate their racial differences. So tell me what the backstory is to that particular book. Well, I'm so happy you asked me that because that touches my heart. Um, my granddaughter, who was a pretty little brown, chocolate brown skinned little girl and had this long flowing wavy hair. And people would always ask us if we were in the mall or a restaurant somewhere, well, is she Ethiopian or is she, is she did look Ethiopian. Mm-hmm. And um, which I think is some of the most beautiful people in the world, the Ethiopians. Yes. Dark, settled eye, deep seated eyes and beautiful features. So I said, no, she's not Ethiopian, she's African-American. But anyway, her father, and I had just moved to Houston to be with my uh, daughter and her husband um, at their request. And um, so I had not spent the first three years with her. Uh, We just talked on the phone, but she didn't really know me that well. So anyway, I was at the house when her dad, who worked in the hospital as a pharmacist, so that means that at that big hospital, you had multicultural people there, and they brought their children to the daycare center. So the daycare center was full of multicultural children. Mm-hmm. She came home with her dad one day from work, and she just announced to us, well, I decided I'm going to be another color. She had a very sparky little personality. Oh. And of course, we all knew what that meant, yeah. but we wanted her to talk about it. So we said, well, what does that mean? I'm going to call her name Jamie, okay? Mm-hmm. What do you mean, Jamie? You're going to be another color. Oh, because people don't like you when you're brown. She oh. said, just like that. And it was like daggers in my heart. I just wanted to go somewhere and just scream and cry. Uh, It it was just amazing. And so we said, well, well, why why would you say that? And she just said, because people don't like you when you're brown. So at three and a half, she had already experienced discrimination. Wow. And that very hour, I went into the room and started writing that book to her. And I had no idea that it was going to go any further than between her and, and the immediate family. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wrote it, with, wrote, wrote line by line, and every now and then I would read a line over to her. One day I finished it. And uh, meanwhile, I was a member of a writer's uh, group. And um, the, the the man and the woman who held the writer's group were the head of the writer's group were Jewish people, very friendly Jewish people. The group was uh, mostly white. It was all white except me. And um, so one day uh, he said, I'm going to give you guys an assignment. All of you have written a manuscript, right? And we all had. So next assignment, I want you to come to class and I want you to share uh, the story that you wrote. And... Um, 
personally, I hesitated because uh, with me being the only African-American in the group, I did, I was kind of uncomfortable with it. I thought, oh, well, what the devil, I'll just go ahead and just bring it. Yeah. So I brought my book and we all shared our different manuscripts of the gist of what they were, a synopsis. And so anyway, after the class, um, they asked me to stay after class for a few minutes. So I did. And they said, well, Carolyn, listen, this, this is publishable work. And I'm like, please, no, no, this, that's just a personal story I wrote to my granddaughter. Yeah, yeah. No, you don't understand, Carolyn, this is publishable. We know good work when we see it. I kept arguing. I said, no, 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 I, 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 no. And he, they said, but would you please just submit it to a contest that's coming up um, for uh, new authors? Would you, would you be willing to submit it? I said, well, I'll do it for you. But, you know, I was not interested because I just knew it was something personal I wrote to my granddaughter. Yeah. And um, so anyway, they said, there's a big banquet downtown in Houston. We want you to come because they're going to announce the winners there. And uh, so they gave me a free ticket because I didn't want to go. I didn't even use the ticket and I did not go. Mm -hmm. Again, just like with the job of the president. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's just that crazy part of me, you know, is not looking for publicity or anything. Mm -hmm. So I get a call about 10 o'clock, Carolyn, where were you? And I didn't even know what he was talking about. I said, what are you talking about? You won. You didn't come to the banquet tonight. You won. <laughs> I said, won what? Carolyn. <laughs> he said, you won. This is one of the best children's authors. So I couldn't believe it there again. So uh, after a while, I thought about it, and, and I knew from my writing workshops that you're supposed to submit a query letter to publishers. I knew how to do the books, but I had never submitted mine. So I was teaching writing workshops called Write the Vision, mm -hmm. Christian writing workshops. And so I knew what the process was. But anyway, I finally decided I would just send a query letter, a couple of query letters out, and I did. And uh, meanwhile, I sent it to a friend of mine who I had mentioned just in conversation that... Um, I had written this manuscript and that, you know, I had won an award for it. He said, well, send it to me and let me see it. So I did and I forgot about it. And a week or so later, he called me and told me that he sent it to, well, two weeks later, that he sent it to someone at Abingdon. And Abingdon Press is a division of the largest Christian publishing company in the world. Um, wow. Um, Methodist, Methodist publishers. And so... Um, I got a call from them asking me if they could publish my book. Oh, oh my God. I was so excited. I was running up and down the stairs in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just God, God has a sense of humor. He was probably upset looking and saying, girl, sit down somewhere. <laughs> but, what, uh, what's, what's so interesting? <laughs> What's so interesting about about you, Miss Forche, is that both situations that you've been in, in in that you've experienced in your life, you're like it's whatever. However, it works out. Okay, <laughs> if it works, yeah, if it works, it, right it doesn't. You. It's like whatever. Yeah. And there are people that could be listening to this and like, man, if it was me, I would have do this, 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 and this. <laughs> so it tells me that your personality is is humility that you're able to accept whatever god has for you and and use it and go forward with it however he wants you to do it not it's not not my will but your will 
situation. That is awesome. Yeah. Okay, I just would like to say one thing about the book, though. When I wrote the book, know that God wrote it through me, just like the other book. Yes. Uh, He he gave me the the wherewithal to write in poetic format for children. Because children can run faster than can just prose. And so um, one of the, the lines in the book that is recurring through about every other page, it's only about 32 pages in the book. And, and of course, 32 pages is mostly illustrations and four lines on the page. So you say 32 pages, it's not like the text mm-hmm. or writing that they have to read. But the recurring line that God gave me to use was, and God made me a beautiful brown. So this little girl that's telling the story happens to be the child that had the experience, okay? And the picture on the cover of the book is just a artist's rendition of an actual photograph. So she's going from one thing in nature to the next, um, just extolling the different colors of things in nature. And uh, one page says, God made my goldfish that swim round and round and round. And God made me a beautiful brown. And another page says, and God made the cockatoo that sports a yellow crown. And God made me a beautiful brown. So it goes through that and starts off talking about, you know, uh, how God started things. And this was my secret little way of just putting in the fact that, you know, we all know that the, all the Bible history started in Africa. So yes, yes. Absolutely. The Bible says God spoke the word and all things came to be. There were fish, birds, the sea, and stars. Then God made kids like me. The Bible says that God made us from dust upon the ground, and God made me a beautiful brown. That was my subtle way of slipping that. (laughs) (laughs) The illustration has her on a hammock saying this reading from the Bible. And so there are pictures of people of every nationality in the book. You know, it talks about, you know, looking around at people and seeing all the different colors that they're made. And the illustrations are absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're, they're just absolutely beautiful. But the pictures on the page that has all people of different nationalities, it says, the Bible says when God made us, he made us in his image. That simply means when God sees us, he sees his goodness in us. Mm-hmm. God made many kinds of people, some short, some thin, some tall. We see them in their cars in school and by hundreds in the mall. So, but the illustration on that page is of people who have every complexion, yes. adults and children. That's so, awesome. Um, but, but, but the thing, I'll just say this about one of the pages that I, I just almost felt the Holy Spirit when I read this last, when I wrote this last page, it has a picture of a little girl looking back at herself in the mirror from over her shoulder. And she's saying, but I'm really very glad when God looked the world around, deciding just who I would be. I imagine he said, hmm, now let me see. And God made me a beautiful brown. <laughs> that book sold 30,000 copies in the first seven months. And that 30,000 copies went to um, people of color. It went to people who were not of color, who wanted to teach their children diversity to accept the fact that there were people of different nationalities in the world. And so uh, I, 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 I was at every bookstore, Barnes, every Barnes and Noble in the area, every newspaper, every television station, and she went on with me yes. to all the television stations and, and interviews and the people would interview her as well as me. So the book helped to heal her, um, even though she went on 
as growing up in school, she experienced some of that in high school. Uh, but she went on and God blessed her. Um, she, she got saved at an early age. And she's a doctor now and um, still that sweet little girl, joyful, just as down to earth and perky as she can be. She never talks about being a doctor to people unless they bring it up. <laughs> she's just very sweet and humble. But um, it, it's the book that people... Uh, people found so healing that in this time when there's so much racial division yeah. in the world, people have been saying, Carolyn, why don't you relaunch that book? My God, look what's going on right now. And children are saying, why, why is this happening? And why did God make me this way? So I'm relaunching it. And that's why I appreciate this time to be interviewed by you because uh, I can see now that God is still using it again, just like his word. Um, you know, it has no no time period. Yes, absolutely. Miss um, Roche, it has been a blessing and honor that you have shared such a wealth of information. How can people purchase your book, both books? Uh, that's not nice, What You Did to Me, as well as Colors Come From God, Just Like Me. Okay, they're both available at Amazon.com. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is awesome. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Also, uh, I, if people want to get a free gift, they can just go to my email, which is Carolyn A. Porsche. No, I'm sorry, Carolyn A. Dot. Get the dot. Carolyn A. Dot Porsche seven at gmail.com. And I'll send them a gift for those who want to get a free gift. They'll just go to my email. Oh, absolutely. And I will make sure that it, the information is posted on the notes for this show. And Miss um, Roche, do you have any parting words of wisdom to share for this listening audience? You know, I would say that uh, I have learned and I've been through many personal challenges in my life, as well as some of the successes uh, that God has blessed me with. But I would say that prayer is such a necessary foundation in your life. Yes. Um, it, it, because of prayer, because of that personal relationship that you have with God, which I like to call intimacy with God. Um, and was I always feeling such a wonderful personal relationship with God? No, I've had challenges like everybody else in my life. Um, personal challenges, you know, professional challenges. Uh, but prayer has been the foundation that has kept me uh, above the, de- the, the devil's waters that he mm-hmm. would try to drown you in. So I would suggest to everybody that you must have that personal relationship with God. Take that time out every day that you decide that you're going to say that this time of day is my time with God. Whether it's the first 15 minutes, whether it's an hour, whether it's before you go to bed, whenever. Just select some time and have a special place. In my room, at the end of my bed, I have a nice little upholstered bench. And that's my little altar where I have my Bible and my other reading materials and my prayer cloth. And let that be a sacred place. Don't put anything on. I don't put anything on that bench uh, that is not related to my Bible and the things of worship. Have that special little altar where you go before God and you confess your sins. You, you, you cry out to him your need. You bless him. You praise him. Don't forget the praise. Yes. It's so important to have that special relationship with God because then he will guide your life through every every struggle and bring you every joy that you need in those good times. Oh, that is uh, that is so needed. 
And I pray that our my listening audience takes that information and uses it in their life. Miss Forche, you have been a blessing and honor to me. Thank you so much for sharing this wonderful information. And I'm thinking that we're going to have another time of conversation at a later time. I really believe that. That would be great. You know what? It's really interesting. I feel so comfortable with you. And it's almost like I feel a bunch of women and men sitting in the room, just we're all having a conversation. So that's that's due to you being able to bring that kind of, you know, relationship into this setting. So I appreciate being asked to be here. It was an honor. You are very welcome. Hey, you guys, this is Althea with Wove Inspiration Podcast. You guys have an awesome day. Take care and God bless. Thank you once again for tuning into Wove Inspiration Podcast. If you or someone you know is interested in using their voice to share their story on Wove Inspiration, contact us at www.woveinspiration.com. You can also listen to past podcast shows on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or any other platform you listen to podcasts.